What's up, Salem Chapel? So good to be with you guys today, and uh, I thank the Lord very much for this privilege and this opportunity to be with you and to open God's Word and to bring a message from it this morning. So uh, grateful for your pastor, and I'm grateful for the rest he's getting too. Grateful for his opportunity to recharge and to plan his next steps in leading this church family going forward. You know, I'm trusting that God uh, will bless our time together uh, in his word this morning. But I got to tell you, I love this city. Um, Not only do I love all of you and your church and what God is up to here, I love this city. God has done some of my absolute favorite things in this city. He saved me here. He saved me in this city. And uh, uh, I married my wife in this city. Two of our kids were born in this city. I got a degree in this city. Um, I met Mark Duncan in this city. I mean, what in the world, right? Yeah, I know Mark Duncan. I went to college with him. I know some of you wish I went to high school with him so I could give you some dirt. But uh, he was a pretty good guy. He's a pretty nice guy in college, so I don't have a lot for you. So if you pay me, I'll make something up. But other than that, that's, that's all I've got for you. But uh, also grateful for the friendship God has given me with uh, Johnny as well. And uh, grateful to, for an opportunity to serve in the ministry here this morning. You know, today we're going to continue in that series, Look Up. And we're going to be in Psalm uh, 131. Um, in these God-authored Bible verses, uh, David, who was the king of Israel at that time, he speaks of himself, and he speaks to God, and he speaks to the people of his nation in ways that should cause us all to pay attention to it, um, because they can benefit us all. David really sets a mature standard in how we think of ourselves, think of God, think of others, and how we respond to them and the way we treat them. I'm grateful for your series. This series about looking up to God is so critical in our day and age. You know why? Because we live in a look-at-me society, don't we? And you know, that's not serving us really well. Um, I don't know any of us that need to look within, as we're often told to do, in order to become the people who God created us to be. I think we need to look at God a whole lot more and uh, uh, look at him more rightly as well. Um, English teachers, hold up. I know more rightly was not perfect, but like, give me a mulligan, all right? All right, so, so, so David, you know, he was the kind of guy that we ought to look into when it comes to uh, the topic of looking up, because he was a look-up-to-God kind of guy. And uh, that led to him having an honest view of self. Listen to what David says as he approaches and enters into a conversation with God. Psalm 131, verse 1, he said, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I mean, what a a statement David makes here. This, This is a, in my opinion, a textbook way to enter into conversation and prayer to God. This is how you do it right here. You might say, well, I didn't see anything. What was that? I read read the verse with you, but I'm I'm not sure what you're talking about. Hopefully, if you look over that verse again, you will see the honesty in it. You will see the humility in it. You will see the humanity in it. You know, these are the best ways that we ought to come to God when we talk to God. Honestly, humbly, human. You might wonder, well, God knows us. I mean, uh, he created us. So why why, why go through this formality? Why go through this pleasantry? Well, don't make the mistake of, of, of thinking that David was just doing something to get the ball rolling with the conversation. These were intentional words, but why did he do it? Why did he take the time to, take, to say these intentional words to God? Well, here's what I believe. Based on the testimony of David through the scriptures and what I know of him now from beginning to end, I believe that David was setting the table to praise God. That's something that David's awful good at in the Psalms. 
of starting a conversation that leads to him and ends with him praising God. And you might say, well, why start a conversation with God, you know, uh, validating the, uh, uh, through honesty and humility and hum- humanity? Well, displaying personal humility is a precursor to properly praising God. Did you know that? Did you know that if you want to praise God well, you got to come humble? Because if you come prideful, you won't end up praising him. You'll probably end up falsely praising yourself or glorifying something else as God. And that, my friends, is called idolatry. Prayer is the place that we go to ask God to, to help us run from idolatry. And we're not going to do that well if we don't come humble. But did you know we ought to come humble? It's not a fake position that we take in front of God and say, okay, God expects me to act humble, so let me act humble. God doesn't want you to act humble. You might say, I, did I just come to church this morning and hear that God doesn't want me to act humble? You're right. God doesn't want you to act humble. He wants you to be humble. I'm always impressed when a person is biblically honest about themselves and impressed when a person is biblically honest about God. But David doing these things is even more impressive to me. You might say, well, what's so impressive about David being biblically honest about himself and God? Do you know who David is? Do you know his testimony and his legacy recorded in the scriptures? God's word tells us that David killed bears and lions. Anybody else have that on the resume? I'll wait. Oh, wait. He killed a giant, undefeated warrior. And then, of course, you know, David went on to have a a long career as a great warrior himself. He was an elite musician. Can you believe that God took time in his word to tell us that David was good looking? David married a princess. And unfortunately, he married more than one. So we're going to move on from that, all right? David was best friends with a prince. David was the king of the nation God built. Now, I understand there's been a lot of kings in this world. There's been a lot of prime ministers and presidents, but David was the king of the nation God built, the nation of Israel. David authored over 70 songs. David had a world-famous city nicknamed after him, Jerusalem, the city of David. And David, of course, as you know, some of you are probably named David in here. He had countless boys named after him. So in case you're wondering, David was that dude. He was. Basically, he was Hercules, Buster Douglas, Thor, Jimi Hendrix, Michael B. Jordan, Prince William, David Beckham, Simba, C.S. Lewis, George Washington, and Michael the Archangel all wrapped up in one dude. That's who he was. That's, that's who David was. He, like I told you, he was that dude. So, so if there were ever a mere human being worthy of worship, it would have been David. But even David knew that all worship belongs to the Lord. And we're not just guessing or projecting this on David. David told us so, and he acted like it as well. He knew and testified to the fact that God is Lord and God alone. As a matter of fact, may I just remind you of where we started in Psalm 131.1. Oh, Lord. Not, hey, man. Hey, you. No, oh, Lord, he started out because he wanted to acknowledge who God was, not just to him, but in general, that's who God is. 
David said it again and again and again in the scriptures, and I'm going to read a few times when he said it. Psalm 18:46, the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. David again in Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. David again in Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And then David again in Psalm 86, verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You see what good it did for David to take an honest view of himself in Psalm 131.1, it allowed him to say and gave him room to say things like this authentically. Because an honest view of self is that we aren't God. An honest view of self is that we aren't God, and an honest view of self makes room for an honest assessment about God. Did you know that if you believe that God is in your mirror, you won't call God God? because you'll be too busy absorbing yourself with affirmations that are faulty as if you are God in his place. But man, when you're honest about yourself, you realize you're not God, there is a God, and you have now room to have an honest assessment of God. You know, an honest assessment of God matters. It shows up in the way we live our lives. It shows up in the way we talk. It shows up in the way we think. It shows up in the way we pray, if we pray at all. So I want to ask you a question about that subject of prayer, of conversation with God. When you talk to God, do you give an honest impression that God has been good to you, or do you give the impression that God hasn't done enough for you? Do you come to God like a bookie who says, God, pay up, like it's been a while, like blessings, come on now, you're late, you're late, you're due. Or do you come to God and say, God, I do have needs. I will honestly acknowledge that. But you've been so, so, so good to me. I can't complain right now. I've got to proclaim how good you are to me. Which is it? Because we can't do both. You can't complain and praise God at the same time. I've tried. It doesn't work. You see, I, I, I don't do a lot of complaining out loud. Keywords, out loud. But I complain way too much internally. You know, I believe God has to remind me monthly in, let me not lie up here, weekly. Like I said, let me not lie up here, probably almost daily, okay? God has to remind me that I've got to stop complaining. You've got to stop complaining, Dion. You've got to stop complaining. See, I don't do it out loud a lot, but that doesn't mean I'm not doing it. See, we, we, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that what counts is only what we do externally. That is not true at all because we serve a God who not only can read our minds, he made our minds. He knows all. He's a present everywhere, and we can't fool him in this regard. So I sense the Holy Spirit who was wonderfully um, um, planted within me when I uh, placed my faith in Christ. So grateful for that. But he reminds me, Dion, stop complaining. You're not being honest right now. You see, when we develop a habit of complaining, we run the risk of being dishonest about the level of God's goodness in our lives. I mean, I dare you to kind of stop yourself short when you're complaining and say, but hasn't God been good though? 
Because we tend to focus on the one big problem and we forget the 99 blessings that God did without us even asking him. David was mature in this area. No, I'm not going to uh, uh, I'm not going to present him as a person who never complained because he did, but he didn't develop a habit of complaining. He was mature in the Lord, and he maintained honesty about God's goodness in his life. In his life, And I want to tell you, this was tough for David. It had to have been tough for David because you and I know the life David lived. Even though his nation had to fight countless wars, David is known for declaring God's goodness. Guys, David's kingship was full of of combat and planning for the next uh, conflict. Constantly, was that a part of his life? Yet, he's known for declaring God's goodness. David had to endure countless assassination attempts. You two? No, we don't have that in common with him. Or at least I hope you don't. If you do, I I guarantee there's a pastor in this church who wants to talk to you afterwards, all right? (laughs) If there's anybody that needs prayer, you do, okay? So, uh, but David lived it. No, not a video game. No, he lived it. David endured countless assassination attempts, yet he's known for proclaiming God's goodness regularly. You know, also, David ended up with several sons who behaved badly. And God didn't, like, mess up and swap his sons with other sons. They were his sons, and they behaved badly. And you don't see where God's complaining about the kids God gave him. He's still declaring God's goodness even though he endured that. So it is not your circumstances that decides how you declare, uh, what you define, how you define God. It should be what's true about God is what you're going to declare about God, right? You see, his goodness is real. Therefore, it should be something we declare, but we get so stuck with the circumstances, right? We get so stuck with our will being done versus his will being done. You want to know something that is, is, is probably a little bit crooked about all of us is that we often define God's faithfulness as being something that corresponds with our way being done. So when something we want to happen happens, we say, oh, God, you're good, you're faithful. Oh, is he? Is that, is that the definition of God's goodness? When things go your way, I thought the definition of God's goodness were when things went his way, but we mess up in that area sometimes, don't we? We sometimes shape this whole world to revolve around us. Here's another test that we often fail. When we ask somebody, hey, how you doing today? Often what we do in our head is a diagnostic of how many things have gone my way this day. Oh, man, like 80%. So, hey, it's a good day. Thanks for asking. But if 20% of things have gone our way, we're saying, man, this day is like, like it's working on me. Like it's, it's really working my nerve and I want to put it to bed and get up and do, do another one. No, life is not based on our will being done. It should be based on God's will being, will being done. We should look for wins in God's care category by God's definition. Amen? That really should be the place where we define how we feel about how life is going. How is God feeling about how things are going? You see, while David did complain occasionally, he had a good habit of quickly pivoting to praising God. Because the truth is, God is infinitely better than anything bad we experience. I want to say that again, because it, it, you got to kind of like take a deep breath before you say it, but I hope you take it in. The truth is, God is infinitely better than anything bad we experience. You see, David consistently declared God's sufficiency. 
And in Psalm 131, verse 2, he used a beautiful metaphor to declare God's sufficiency. Look, listen to what David did here in verse 2. Psalm 131, 2, he said, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. David in this verse says that he considered himself to be so well cared for by God that he compared it to a small child who has been nursed by their mother. I mean, it's as if David had observed a, 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 a mother tenderly loving her nursing child, and David said, you know what, God? You tenderly love me that way. It's as if David observed a, a, a mother being present while her nursing child was in crisis, and David said, you know what, God? You're present for me in crisis just like that. It's as if David saw um, uh, the generous provision that a mother gives to her nursing child, and David said, you know what, God, you are generous in your provision for me, too. The metaphor fit perfectly for David. I know that's why he stated it, and he also declares through this verse the relationship between verses 1 and 2. Did you catch it? Did you catch the relationship between Psalm 131.1 and Psalm 131.2? In verse 1, David declares humility. In verse 2, David expresses gratitude. I'm telling you, these go together because David wouldn't have been able to express in verse 2 what he expressed if he didn't feel the way he felt in verse 1. You see, it was his humility that opened the door to express his gratitude. How grateful are you today for God and what he's doing in your life? And you may not know every detail he's doing in your life, and you may not even see clearly what he's doing right now in your life or what he's even done in the past, what it was all for in his life. But I guarantee you that you, like me, like every other human being, should express gratitude for God because he's been infinitely more good than we would ever imagine. You see, he expresses gratitude because that's the habit of a person who is humble before God. They understand that anything good about them came from God. You know, I believe that recognizing and declaring God's goodness and sufficiency is key to finding contentment and humility in life. That was a mouthful, but let me break it down. What I'm saying is, is a lot of us are restless. It's almost like a card we pick up when we're born. We get our name, we, you know, they give us our blood type, they give us our measurements, and we pick up the restlessness card, right? We just and take that home with us, and we just are. We didn't have to learn it from our parents. It's just something that life does to us. It rattles us, but God has a solution for that, and it's him. It's his what? No, it's him. Actually, him, he wants to show us that there's an answer to our, to, his, to our restlessness, and that is his sufficiency and goodness, which leads to our contentment. I want to tell you, contentment is a beautiful place to arrive to, but we won't arrive there clasping for our restlessness. We can't treat restlessness like a pillow. This is the way it is, so I must just get comfortable here. No, God has a response, and his response is resting in him, trusting in him. Oh, I hate this word, waiting on him. An honest assessment of God is that he's faithful. When we assess God honestly, we position ourselves to speak about God adequately. That's why, you know, that, that, that this whole point that we're building up to, I hope you understand that what I'm trying to uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is that I believe the most content people on the planet are the people who express their gratitude to God most frequently and authentically. 
You want to be more restful in your life? Praise God more. Praise God more. And I'm not talking about uh, something that you need to memorize to keep saying every day for good luck. No, I'm saying praise God and mean it. Praise God authentically for real things that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind because you will find yourself being much more content and ready for the battle of life. David had himself so right here. That's how he survived the life he lived, let alone being fruitful within it. I want to be fruitful in my life, don't you? I want to be effective, don't you? I don't want life to just run me over like a truck. I want to stand up to it by the power of the Lord and actually win the battles that he's equipped me to win, amen? We have a chance, we have an opportunity, but we gotta look up. We gotta look up so we can have the right perspective of all things. He is where that lies. Yeah, so God uh, uh, has taught us through David that you know, you need to have an honest view of self because that leads to making honest assessments about him. And when we are honestly assessing ourselves and honestly assessing God, that leads to us being able to make an honest plea to people. That's right, God has conditioned us, has, has not only given us life, but has saved our souls so that we will engage with people. And he wants us to engage with people in fruitful ways, which means he wants us to plea to people honestly. Psalm 131, verse 3, O Israel, here's his plea, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That's David's message to Israel. That's what he was building to in Psalm 131, 1 and 2. That's what he was up to. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You see, this wasn't the only time David pleaded with his people to become faithful to the Lord. He did it consistently, just like praising the Lord. He was a constant evangelist. Look at what David said in Psalm 40, verse 9. He said, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. David in 90, Psalm 96, verses 7 through 9, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. David again in Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. This isn't just something David said once when he uh, got motivated by it from attending some conference or reading some book. This was the place that David was in because he practiced daily humility before the Lord and right assessment of the Lord, which led him to praise the Lord and share the truth about the Lord. For David to say anything less than what I've just read to you regarding the spiritual needs of his people would have been dishonest. That's right, guys. David prioritizing any other information to his people would have been dishonest because this was the urgent need of their ears and heads and hearts. You know, we as a society, unfortunately, we have a tendency to plea dishonestly. We say things like, oh, you've got to see this movie or watch this show. Oh, really? We, we need to? It's essential for living? We say things like, you gotta eat at this restaurant. I mean, you've got to. Like, you, next time you go, you've got to get there, right? We say things like, you know, you've gotta hear what this person said about this topic, or you gotta read what this person wrote about this topic. We say things like, oh man, you gotta watch the game tonight. You got to watch the game tonight. 
We are, you've got to go to this uh, vacation destination. I mean, you're not going to have fun if you don't go here. You've got to go here. Or you've got to take this approach to your kids' schooling. I'm telling you right now, they're doomed if you don't do this. We're so urgent and earnest and certain about these, these feelings that we have, these opinions we have, and we proclaim them so commonly, don't we? It's so common for us, to, for that to just fly out of our mouths, and that's the most earnest thing that you need to hear from us today. But you know what's uncommon in our society? Proclaiming our concern for people's souls. Sharing the gospel that can save their souls. That's uncommon, while these other things that I just mentioned, they're so common. They're, very, they're so regular, we expect them to come out of people's mouths. And honestly, these are the things that cause the gospel to be an afterthought. How many times have we had conversations with people to where we say all the things that we want to tell them about all the entertainment and all the fun experiences we're having on this earth, and then we walk away and we're like, oh, I probably should have shared Jesus with them, shouldn't I have? Or I probably should have done something to, 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 to point them to Christ and to the truth of God. That's right, they're not a Christian, and they don't have that hope within them. Ah, I forgot about that. Why we should, we should absolutely flip that on its head. We should put ourselves in a position to where we forget to talk about the pop culture things that we love because we were so busy telling them about the goodness of God. It's interesting what we've done to ourselves. We've created this this strange pressure on each other about not sounding too Christian. How can you sound too Christian? You know what I mean? If you are one, you should sound like one. I mean, I, I, I hope that when I talk about women, when I talk about relations, romantic relationships, when I talk about love, I hope I sound married. Amen? I mean, you get, you get where I'm going with that. So clearly, if we are children of God, when we're having conversations throughout our days, we should sound like we're in love with our Savior, amen? We should sound like we've been bought and paid for. We should sound like we have certainty of our future and certainty of where we were, where we were brought from and what, our, what, our, what, what the consequences would have been if we hadn't met him. People should know that about us. It should just come out of us. But what if we're too busy sharing this checklist of all these experiences people need to have that have no eternal value. Now, let me pause before some of you guys are getting all convicted and thinking, oh my goodness, was I sinning when I walked in the door and told so-and-so that they need to watch this movie? That, no, not sinful, unless that is the thing that replaces the thing you should be talking about more earnestly. So we can do both, but I, I believe we should just shift the emphasis because sometimes the conversations about the things that I mentioned are great bridge builders and, 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 and those are the things that nurture, nurture our friendships and, and make, make life fun. But we just can't get so carried away that the gospel becomes the afterthought. My salvation is not an afterthought. Is yours? It shouldn't be. It's the best thing about us. It's our favorite story. It's a miracle that we're walking in every single day. And so we should be bursting to tell people, you've got to hear how I'm getting right with God right now. I mean, he's forgiven me and I don't deserve it. I mean, he died for me 2,000 years ago and I didn't even know it until I was born and was told about it. And he tells me that he prepared a place for me before I was even born. So God thought of me before he said, let there be light. Then I came into this world and I learned that there was a death that was already died for me. And he lovingly equipped the gospel message to make its way to somebody's life so that they could share it with me. And now I know the one who loved me, who has been merciful to me, who has endured my sin, who has died for my sins, who has risen from death, who is waiting on me to trust in him so he can save my soul, fill me with the Holy Spirit, guide me in right direction. And oh yeah, at the 
end of it all, I get to spend eternity with him in heaven. How do we forget that? Isn't God good? And isn't he good to endure with us even when we overlook the best part of ourselves, which is him? Man, he's so kind, he's so patient. But David realized that he's not worth forgetting. He's not worth allowing to slide to the back burner. When we make passionate pleas while not sharing the gospel frequently, we are being spiritually dishonest. Because gospel proclamation is infinitely more worthy of a passionate plea than our opinions about earthly pleasures. I love Michigan football. And y'all need to hear today about the goodness of God rather than me getting so frustrated with losing to Ohio State every stinking Thanksgiving weekend. So sick of that. So sick of that. Work that into your prayer life, if you would, please, so we can just end that losing streak, okay? Work that into your prayer life. All right. So when we publicly make much of things that cannot save people's souls and don't publicly make much of what actually saves people's souls, we're being spiritually dishonest. All of us, all of us are guilty of being overly enthusiastic and insistent about things that have no eternal value from time to time. What's our solution? Just what God's word is doing for us this morning, just being reminded that God is infinitely better than anything that we could praise on this earth, including ourselves. David chose to be a spiritually honest child of God. A spiritually honest child of God is earnestly evangelistic. Think about the legacies of kings that straddled David's legacy. Saul, David's former son, uh, excuse me, David's former father-in-law, he was constantly working to preserve his kingship. The back half of his life is miserable reading about it. And all he's trying to do is clamor for and cling to and retain something that God said, you're not keeping, brother. You're just not keeping it. I've already told you, you're going to have to let it go. It's not in your future. The kingship is leaving your family. But what did he do the whole time? He fought and fought and fought to try to keep it. What's David's son's legacy? Solomon. He was constantly working to expand his own kingdom. He was always, you know, working these deals and developing these relationships. And ladies, okay, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He had too many ladies in his life, all right? So he just, there was just too much going on in Solomon's life, not enough of God's priorities going on in his life. And that's his legacy. But David, even though he had sin in his life, he was not perfect. We all know that. We can still not argue, it's not an argument at all, that David made it a priority to lead his people into right relationship with God and into the family of God. That was a priority to him. That's part of his legacy. But it didn't have to be. David could have led as a false god. That's right, David would have been a great cult leader. That's not, those words should never go together, great cult leader. But, but, but David could have been amazing at being a false I, 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 a symbol of idolatry. He could have been the second coming of Nebuchadnezzar. He could have. He had such a stature, he, he could have, he, there's no doubt he could have caused people to worship him. But he had no interest in leading people away from God. David also could have been a narcissistic storyteller. I just ran off a list earlier of all the things that David experienced in his life, amazing things. He could have sat around all day, all night, every day for the rest of his kingship and said, do you know what I've done? Have I ever told you about the time? Man, I was awesome. Man, those were the good old days. He could have just spent so much time glorifying himself, he wouldn't have had time to do anything else. David also could have been a people pleaser. He could have just said, all right, Israel, 
What do you want this kingdom to be? What do you want this country to be? What's your, what's your vision for it? What do you want to do? What kind of king do you want me to be? None of these three things is what David was because none of these approaches would have been spiritually honest and David was a spiritually honest man. You and I have the same options that David had. We could live lives um, uh, for temporary earthly rewards. We could make our whole lives on earth about obtaining things that we can't take with us to heaven. We could live according to the majority opinions of our society. We could wake up every morning, look at the headlines, and say, oh, the wind's blowing this way. This is what I think about the world and God. Oh, the wind's blowing this way. Oh, 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 okay, let me keep up now. Okay, the world's going this way. I'm here now. We could do that. We could live our lives according to whatever the world thinks. We could keep ourselves, we could keep to ourselves in our lives. You know that? Some of us are awful good at it, too good at it. We could keep to ourselves and never share the gospel with people. But none of these approaches would be honest. Being silent about the gospel that saved our souls is not honest. Because if people think that we got this way, that we got to any place of contentment and humility and praise of God, if we got there just on our own, just because we're awesome, we're being dishonest with the world and it leaves them frustrated because they think it had to be something they were born with. No, it's something they have to be introduced to. They need the same salvation you do. They need the same intervention you do. So let's not act like we just got this way on our own. It's kind of like those people who have really good hair and they wake up, they're like, eh, I'll just wake up this way. I'll never say that. I don't, I don't. Well, I did kind of wake up this way, actually. I did kind of wake up this way. You know, people need Christ more than anything else. More than anything else. Oh, damn, but don't we need a cure for the coronavirus? Yes. But we need right relationship with Christ more. Oh, but don't married couples who are on the verge of divorce, don't they need to work on their marriages? Uh, yes. But they need right relationship with Christ more. Uh, don't people who are having financial struggles need to work to stabilize their financial situations? Yes. But they need right relationship with Christ more. Well, don't we need to pursue racial harmony and common respect for humanity in our society? Oh, yeah. But we need right relationship with Christ more. Well, don't we need to turn down the temperature of the political rhetoric in our society? Absolutely. But we need right relationship with Christ more. You and I need Christ more than any other thing we've ever needed. And there will always be serious things going on in our personal lives. Always be serious things going on throughout our society and throughout the world. But there is nothing more serious than the condition of all of our souls. And how faithfully are we are worshiping and serving our Savior. You know, David, he could have urged his people to do anything. He could have said, hey, Israel, make discoveries so we could be the envy of the world. Invent things so that people could say, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? He could have said, Israel, just enjoy life. Don't think about anything serious. Just have fun. Life's short. But none of these things is a higher priority than knowing, worshiping, and serving Christ. An honest plea is that they have no eternal hope without Christ. That's why David practiced humility in verse 1, expressed gratitude to God in verse 2, and told the people of Israel that they ought to worship God in verse 3. Because that's the most important thing any of us could ever do. 
And that's the thing that you and I will constantly need to be reminded to do. Honestly, God loves you. And he'll never stop fighting for you. It's not, he's not after you to hurt you. He's pursuing you to help you and to remind you of the hope that you have in him. He has made a way to forgive your sins, to save your soul, to guide you for the rest of your life on this earth and grant you eternal life in heaven. You see, David had an honest outlook of himself, of God, and of his people. That made him a great child of God. It made him a great worshiper of God, and it made him a great evangelist for God. Did you know that you have the potential to be great in all those areas too? You absolutely do. All you need to be is spiritually honest. You have the potential to be everything that God created you to be. But I want to tell you that it comes through the road of humility. It comes through the road of accurately assessing God. And it comes through the road of participating in the work that God has saved you to be a part of. When we look up to God, we obtain the right view of ourselves. Everybody says, man, I just want to find myself. I just need to get myself together. Look to God. He's a master at molding us into who he created us to be and revealing to us who we really are. Yeah, when we look up to God, we not only obtain a right view of ourselves, we are motivated to introduce others to him. When we look to God, we can't get God off of our minds, which is a good thing because we're called to live with him in mind all the time. I want to encourage you to trust God's narratives about you. We're always so worried about other opinions about us. The comment, the most recent comment that was placed on our social media page, but that narrative's not true. The narrative about you that's true is the narrative that comes from God. Trust his narrative about you. Trust his narrative about himself. And trust his narrative about humanity. Those are all completely and perfectly and lastingly accurate. Because then you will find yourself rightly seeing yourself rightly seeing God, rightly seeing people, and treating all three the way he created you to do so. This is the value of an honest outlook. This is the value of looking up. So I encourage you to look up to God and never stop looking at him, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the privilege of looking to you. Thank you for creating us, not for our own glory or for us to figure things out on our own, but so we can come to know you and come to know the great work you've called us to do. Thank you, Lord, that while you are mending our brokenness, we're still so flawed. Thank you that while you're mending our, 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 our brokenness, you are allowing us to participate in helping to mend the brokenness of others. You are our God who has figured out such a glorious, beautiful way for us to participate in your kingdom work. And God, the reward we get in heaven is Christ-likeness. What a God you are, how worthy you are of praise. Thank you for necessarily humbling us. Thank you for reminding us that you're worthy of praise. Thank you for the way that you're shaping us so that we can be a part of shaping others' lives to your likeness. 
I love you. I thank you for loving us. Thank you for Salem Chapel. And may I, Lord, echo the words that David said to them, Oh, Israel, let me replace it with, Oh, Salem Chapel. Put your hope in the Lord. Trust in him now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.